Hello America, I'm Brown Hollyhan, 14-year-old conservative commentator, editor-in-chief of the Truth Gazette, here today uh, with a man I've looked up to for quite some time. A personal political mentor of mine who has inspired me to, quite frankly, do what I'm doing today, uh, who has helped me with his book and different speeches and lectures and just being such an influential figure uh, in our nation's politics to inspire young people like myself. It just really means a lot that he take the time uh, to do this out of his busy schedule. So I'm here today in Washington, D.C., our nation's capital, sitting down with HUD Director uh, Dr. Ben Carson. Secretary Carson, thank you so much for doing this. It means so much. It's a real pleasure to be here with you. And you're an encouragement to me because uh, seeing young people who are interested in truth and reporting means that there's actually hope for us in this nation. I'm yes, sir. very glad to see it. Yes, sir. Well, it just means, I mean, you're such a busy person, and just the fact that you would take the time out of your day just to do this, and it just means so, so, so much. So thank you for doing this. Absolutely. Absolutely. Let's go ahead and get started. Uh, I, have, I had this burning question starting off here. Before entering the world of politics, you were a world-renowned neurosurgeon known across the country and, quite frankly, the entire globe. Uh, so I want to start by asking why you left such a great life to start a life of public service. You had it made. You know, why did you do it and how did you do it? Because being a doctor and a politician seems to be like two completely different fields, but you've done incredibly in both. So how did you, how did you succeed? Well, interestingly enough, uh, someone told me that neurosurgeons die early. <laughs> so I, I didn't believe it. So I wrote down the name of the last 10 neurosurgeons I knew who died, calculated the average age of death, and it was 61. Oh, wow. So at that point, I said, I'm going to retire when I turn 61. <laughs> and I was planning to, you know, become a pianist, an organist, and improve my golf game. <laughs> but, uh, you know, after the 2013 um, National Prayer Breakfast, everybody was saying, you need to run for president. And I said, that's the most ridiculous thing I've ever heard. Why would I do a thing like that? And I said, if I just ignore them, it'll go away. But it didn't go away, it just kept getting louder and louder. Every place I went, there were people with placards run and run. I had over 500,000 petitions in my office. And I finally said, Lord, if you really want me to do this, recognize I don't have an organization. I don't have a big war chest. I don't have a Rolodex with all the important names. I don't have any of that stuff, So, and I, nor do I plan to develop it. So if you really want me to do this, you have to supply all that stuff. Next thing I knew, I had an organization that were raising more money than the RNC. <laughs> it was ridiculous. And so, uh, you know, I, I decided to do it. And, and then, you know, later on, uh, deciding to, to come to HUD, it was really a matter of, of, of my preference. You know, people are saying, well, why didn't you go to a different agency? Uh, because it, the president said you can have any agency you want. Having grown up in dire poverty and seeing the impact of poverty upon the way that people think and how that leads people into permanent dependency, I really felt that this was an area where we could make some real progress. Absolutely. And you've made a lot of progress, and we'll talk about that later on in the interview. Uh, but you spoke about your entry into politics. Uh, tell me about the Donald Trump that you knew before he became president, and did you ever expect to be serving in his cabinet one day? Well, you know, I first met him at Mar-a-Lago uh, some years ago, and he was just so nice and so gracious. And I remember Rod Stewart came in, and they said, Mr. Trump, Rod Stewart's here. He said, I don't care, this is Ben Carson. <laughs> That's the kind of person Absolutely. he is. You know? And, uh, you know, we became friends during the campaign, and uh, 
we actually uh, agree that if one of us won, the other one would be in this administration. And uh, that has been the case. You, you led through with that deal and look where we turned out. We're here yeah. in the HUD office with Secretary Ben Carson. Uh, with all due respect, before you came to HUD, government agencies like this were known to be the depiction of the swamp, something President Trump talks about a lot, uh, you know, filled with bureaucrats working against the American people's best interests. Uh, but when you were appointed by the president in 2017 to serve as HUD secretary, you immediately got to work cleaning this place up, you know, cleaning up the swamp, draining the swamp like the president says in his campaign speeches. Uh, you cut through the red tape, you drew back regulations, and you turned around HUD so that you could work for the best interests of the American people. You know, as President Trump has said numerous times, specifically in the past few months leading up to the election, uh, fighting the swamp isn't easy. What was your greatest challenge you encountered, you know, trying to clean this place up? Well, there's no question that the swamp creatures are alive and well. <laughs> and they're hungry. Very true, very true. <laughs> but, um, you know, First of all, dealing with the swamp creatures in Congress was a big issue coming in here because, you know, they were very slow to confirm any of my picks. Uh, the first five months, I didn't have any assistant oh, secretaries. Wow. First eight months, I didn't have a deputy secretary. So, you know, it makes it really, really tough. But, you know, we were able to, to find really excellent people, and, and that made the real big difference because... I always say we have the ugliest building, but the best people. Uh, but, you know, that takes a lot of work trying to convince, you know, people who frequently are, are doing very well, maybe in the private sector, want to come in and help. Yes, yes, sir. <laughs> For a fraction of the salary. Yes, yes sir. Uh, but fortunately, we were able to find just absolutely spectacular people. And, uh, you know, one of the first things I noticed was that, you know, we didn't have CFO. And, uh, you know, having served for many years on corporate boards, you know, I recognize you can't run a big organization with billions of dollars flowing through without financial controls. So uh, we were very fortunate to get Irv Dennis uh, from Ernst & Young, a 37-year uh, executive. And uh, he came in and, and we broke down the silos so that we could work across the silos and all the different offices and bring fiscal responsibility. Uh, it, it was interesting because, uh, you know, there were so many major defects that the uh, IG was finding it wasn't even possible to do a real audit. And uh, this year is the first year in eight years that we've had a clean audit. Wow, that's, that's big. I mean, that's monumental. Yeah. That's historic right there. Uh, but speaking about some of the historic accomplishments you've had here at HUD, uh, you have spearheaded numerous initiatives, you know, from the Fostered Youth Initiative uh, to your solutions for the homelessness crisis that is plaguing our country, affordable housing, opportunity zones, vision centers, and more. The I mean, the list could go on for hours. Uh, but over your expansive life career so far, you know, taking a look back, what initiative or accomplishment are you the proudest of? Uh, well, looking over my whole life, uh, certainly the Carson Scholars Fund uh, was a big one because. I would go into these high schools and, and middle schools and you see all these trophies, you know, all state wrestling, all state this, all state that. But what about the kids who are academic superstars? What recognition did they get? Not a whole lot. Maybe a pat on the head and a little National Honor Society pin there, they're a little nerd, you know, nobody really cared that much about them. And uh, so we started this program, we started recognizing children starting in the fourth grade for superior academic performance and 
demonstration of humanitarian qualities that wow. they actually care about other people. Wow. And, uh, you know, this coming up uh, banquet in April will be our 25th anniversary of giving out scholarship, and we're hoping to be able to give out the 10,000th scholarship at that time. Uh, we just found out this week that one of our scholars was named the Time Magazine Kid of the Year. Wow. This is the first year that they're doing Kid wow. of the Year. Yeah. And she's just a genius. Uh, 13 years old, scientist, inventor, just amazing. But, uh, you know, so many people try to disparage young people. And, you know, my whole career was spent around young people as a pediatric neurosurgeon. And uh, even as head secretary, I've been particularly interested and, you know, led and some of the environmental things that impact the development of children. And uh, I think that will always be a big part of my life. Uh, you know, the initiatives that we've done here are aimed a lot at young people. Uh, and the Envision Centers, which take all these services that are provided by government, federal, state, and local government, and amalgamate them bring them under a single roof and coordinate them so that people can actually use them. Yeah. <laughs> you know, they, they existed, but who could use them? <laughs> and, uh, you know, that's making a huge difference in people's lives. Uh, you know, foster youth independence, 20,000 young people age out of foster care every single year. Uh, within a four-year period, a quarter of them are homeless. And even a larger portion of that uh, are inadequately housed. And this is at the critical time in their life when they're trying to build who they are. So, you know, focusing on initiatives like that, family self-sufficiency, rewarding people for working instead of penalizing them as the system exists, where if you make more money, you automatically have to report that so you can pay more rent. If a person comes into your household who is making income, you have to report that so that your rent can go up. You know, you're not incentivized to form a family, you're not incentivized to improve yourself. And, uh, you know, it's, it's been a real battle uh, working against those things. They, they have existed for decades, and uh, trying to break them down has been a battle, but we're, we're making progress. I mean, most people come up to Washington and get rich and, you know, turn into some big speaker of the house or something. You have come to Washington, you've given back to the communities, and you've again. Uh, you know, you serve as a member of the White House uh, Coronavirus Task Force, but we didn't get to see a lot of you in those regular press briefings. Uh, but from Operation Warp Speed to finding solutions to PPE shortages, can you tell us about some of the things that you've been a part of over the past few months yeah. fighting this pandemic with the task force? Yeah, well, most of the people on the, on the task force uh, don't need to be on camera. Mm -hmm. uh, there are a few designated ones that need to be there because you want to keep the message simple and consistent. Uh, but it's, it's been fascinating as we work through all these problems because it's called the novel coronavirus because it's new. It doesn't act like anything else. You know, you look out right now, you see, you know, we're into flu season, but the, the seasonal flu levels are way down because it responds to hand washing, to distancing, to all of these things that we've been advocating. 
the coronavirus, it seems like the more we do, the more it escalates. Yes. It's just a crazy virus. And and that's why, you know, a lot of the recommendations from task force have changed as, as we've learned, oh, this is a new aspect of this thing that we didn't know anything about. But uh, the, the real key has been, you know, analyzing the data, changing with the data, making recommendations, uh, you know, getting, you know, factories to change from making cars to making respirators, uh, getting the, the, the personal protective uh, equipment out in an incredibly fast way, responding to the needs of the community, even though a lot of times uh, there are those for political reasons who don't want to provide credit for having done that. And then, you know, Operation Warp Speed, I mean, getting all of these different uh, pharmaceuticals and other types of companies to work together to do something uh, in a fraction of the time that it normally takes. And that will save countless lives in our society. Absolutely. Uh, you know, you also serve as a cabinet secretary and you've had a front row seat to history. You know, being in the room where decisions are made that will affect people not only in this country, but across the world. Uh, you know, what do you view as some of the president or some of President Trump's greatest accomplishments so far in his first term in office? Well, I'll tell you, there's been a lot of them. I think he's probably accomplished more in four years than more, most presidents yeah, do in absolutely. eight years by a long shot. But, uh, you know, bringing the United States to a point of respect again in the world, uh, knowing that people are not going to be able to just walk all over us and take advantage of us. Uh, I think that's been huge. Uh, the, the way he understands business and how business works, uh, getting rid of so many regulations and restructuring the taxes so that they actually incentivize people for uh, innovation and entrepreneurship. Those things, look how dramatically and how quickly they changed our economy and made us incredibly strong to the point where you know, our resilience has allowed us to withstand this disastrous virus, which in normal circumstances probably would have completely destroyed our financial infrastructure. It's absolutely amazing. And, uh, you know, his emphasis on education, uh, school choice, uh, you know, revamping the, the justice system so that it's, it's much fairer. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, those kinds of things, you know, he, he's not getting a lot of credit for them, but they make a huge difference in a lot of people's lives. And, you know, being able to sit back and participate in that, the opportunity zones uh, where you incentivize people to take money that they're going to invest somewhere anyway exactly. and invest it into the areas that are traditionally neglected. And it was anticipated that that would uh, generate $100 billion uh, in uh, private capital to go into these funds over a 10-year period. Well, in the first two years, it's already generated $75 billion. I mean, just to give you some sense of how effective these things are. So um, being a part of all that and watching that happen, uh, helping to develop those policies has really been what uh, has motivated me and you know I fortunately had already done
quite well financially. So that was never really a motivation one exactly, way or another. Exactly. But to actually be able to do things for people, it's absolutely spectacular. And not only to be effective, but to be efficient at the same time, you get the job done right. you know, in that um, amount of time. And, and, and I should mention one of the other big things that the president uh, emphasized is religious freedom. Yes. You know, and you know there were so many things that were going on that were anti-faith, and that were hurting faith communities. And you know, being able to reverse a lot of those uh, has been uh, very important. Absolutely. This will be our last question here, Mr. Secretary. Closing out, I want to talk about you and your career. You know, you are viewed as a true American patriot, a perfect example of someone who has lived out the American dream to the fullest. Uh, you're respected by both sides of the political aisle for your for your common sense approach to solving heavy issues. Uh, you know, I personally look up to you as a huge mentor, like I said at the top, and I know millions of people worldwide do as well. What advice would you give to this rising group of conservatives uh, that are hoping to have a seat at, the seat at the table one day in our nation's political system? I would say just remember that freedom is not free. Uh, you have to work for it every single day, and if you don't, it will disappear. And you think about the patriots that gave up a lot and risked a lot to establish this country. There are those who are trying to rewrite our history. Uh, don't let it happen, because your history is that thing upon which your identity is formulated, and your identity is what gives you your values and who you are. Absolutely. So if you throw it out, you become like a blank slate of paper, uh, easily manipulated and taken elsewhere, which is exactly what those who want to fundamentally change our nation want to happen. So courage, it is, that is the thing that will save us. Mr. Secretary, thank you so much. That closing there was very powerful, and it was the rallying cry to this young group of conservatives. Secretary Ben Carson, uh, thank you so much for joining. Make sure to follow me on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram to see more of our incredible interviews. Uh, and make sure please, to follow Secretary Carson. Please follow this young man. He's going <laughs> places. We're going to have a good one here. <laughs> thank you so much, Secretary Carson. It means the world.